welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now, here's your host, my dad, Ryan Scott. Hello, hello, hello to my Big Ed Idea podcast listeners. Um, Believe it or not, it's episode number 29. And I'm super excited because I have a, um, I have a fellow elementary minded person in the house tonight. Um, In case you didn't know, I spent 10 years in the elementary world as a teacher, um, taught kindergarten for a spell, second grade for a spell. Um, I am definitely um, an elementary minded person. And um, I had two years elementary as a principal. And then I took all of those crazy elementary ideas and took them up into the secondary world. So I'm super, super excited to have um, a young lady. And I just found this out, guys. This is her, seriously, very first year teaching. Um, Probably the absolute best year to get into education when things are totally normal. Um, You know, every year is like this. So she is definitely learning on the job. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my new friend. Um, She is a second grade teacher. Absolutely one of my favorite grades that I ever taught. Um, She is a lifelong learner hoping to make a difference. She is a Missouri, wow, Missouri State University grad student. Um, She will be studying elementary ed curriculum and instruction. Um, She's a reader, a singer, and I'm not really sure what to make of this next one, but we're going to explore it. She says she is a French fry enthusiast from Kirkwood, Missouri. Welcome, Caitlin Kilby. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, um, it is. uh, So when we're recording this, it's Monday. um, And I, before we hit the record button, I kind of asked you, you know, how was your Monday? And you're like, well, it was really good. I'm a virtual teacher, but you can definitely tell um, kids are ready for the end of the year. So I've got to ask you, Caitlin, are you ready for the end of the year? I have mixed emotions about it. I actually thought I was ready for it in April. Um, we were dwindling <laughs> down towards May. I was like, you know what? This is just, you know, virtual teaching, first year, you know, the kids are crazy. I'm like, you know, I think I'm ready for it to wrap up. And now that we have, have our last day is the 27th of May and I'm like, we have a week and a half left and I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm not so ready to let them go and move into third grade. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, so in Missouri, um, is second grade still considered a primary grade? It is. It's the last primary grade. So we think of K2 being primary and then 3-5 is upper intermediate. Yeah, yeah. What I always liked about second grade, um, it was kind of that year where you start to transition to reading to learn and are, uh, yeah, reading to learn instead of learning to read. Um, and you really start to see kids getting their personality and um for better or worse they start to um be who you know they're going to be for the rest of their elementary world um and um it's you know they say second grade is kind of just a repeat of first grade and I thought that for a while 
but I think it's got its own merits. And so just real quick, before we get into um, the actual pod- podcast episode, I'm, I just want to know, like, what's your take on second grade? Sure. Uh, my experience in before this, when I was student taught, was with fifth grade. Um, and I've always thought that the older kids are the most fun. And I think that comes from my mindset of like, you can joke with them and I tend to be sarcastic. Sure. So it's a little bit more, <laughs> uh, you'd have that answer back and forth. But after having second graders now for almost a year, they are some of the smartest, most creative and like the boldest kids I have ever met. And I've been a camp counselor before. So I've seen age, all ages, like five to 12 and worked with kids in those ages. And this group, they are so like, they really want to have, they have all these ideas and they really believe and know that they can do it. Like they're like, oh, well, I'm going to create this underwater tunnel that's going to go across the ocean so that we don't have to take a plane because I'm scared of planes. Like that was a conversation we had. And that's and awesome. There's and it's just like, it's so refreshing to see. And they're so, they want to learn, you know, they're yeah. really like avid learners and they just are so curious. And even virtually, I've been able to see that. And um, they really just kind of blow my mind every day. So yeah. I didn't yeah. think I like younger kids because I'm scared of them, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have really grown on me. So I really love them. <laughs> yeah, my first four years, I was a fourth grade teacher. And I always told myself uh, and told anybody that would listen, Look, I'm never teaching anything below fourth grade, um, but nobody really had um, the gall um, to tell me, look, Ryan, you're going to teach whatever they tell you to teach if you want a job. Um, so, yeah, um, I ended up, like I said, kindergarten um, for a little while. And listen, kid, if you have never taught Kate, uh, Caitlin, if you've never taught kindergarten, that is awesome the um, amount of growth you see in a kid from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, um, kind of like you alluded to just the, the wonder and the magic in their eyes. And um, I don't know how our education system somehow um, compliances, if that's even a word, like somehow our system gets rid of that for our kids. So yeah, you were in a sweet spot. Second grade is definitely a sweet spot. Um, so I'm really glad that your first year, though it's been fraught with some um, weirdness, um, you've still got a big smile. So obviously you you are coming back next year. Yes. Um, I actually just found out recently that I will be teaching third grade in the same district in the fall. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that'll be in person. So it'll kind of be like a whole new yeah. year. all over. <laughs> are you going to get to loop with any of your kids? No, um, ironically, this year with the, the virtual, the way our district is in virtual learning, we have kids, so we have five elementary schools in our district, and I have kids from three of them, and right, it's right. not the one that I'm going to be teaching at, right. so um, so I won't get to loop with them, but um, I keep telling them if they have any questions about third grade to let me know. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Kate, um, are you ready to just dive on in and get this thing rolling? Let's do it. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for my listeners out there, I'm going to tell you, um, a great podcast guest is someone that you can just tell loves to talk. And, um, and I don't mean that badly, um, but Caitlin is like, she's all smiling. She's bubbly. Like, this is going to be a really good episode. So make sure you turn up your car stereo because you're in for a treat. Um, Caitlin, our first segment, like I like to do, is to model the connections before content. Um, and I'm really excited that next year you get to go to in-person because um, I can already tell 
just by our conversation that you are definitely a believer in the in the connections with kids. So I've got two questions for you that have um, very little to do with education. And that is just really so I can know more about who Caitlin is. So um, my first question, what thoughts instantly make you feel more relaxed? Gosh. Um, anytime I think about traveling for some reason, I, um, I have not been very many places, but traveling is something I, I really enjoy. Uh, I got the opportunity to travel abroad when I was in my undergraduate, um, degree and I went to England and Austria for just, it was like two weeks. And it was kind of like that, that moment of like, I'm going to go for just two weeks and we'll see if I even like it because yeah. I've, yeah. I've always really enjoyed learning about people and other places and other cultures. Uh, and I just find it so interesting. And I went and I was nervous. I was like, what if I, what if I hate it? Like, what if I hate going other places and it's too nerve wracking and it turned out to be amazing. And I, uh, I've even thought about, about teaching abroad, but anytime I think about just going and seeing new places and new things, um, and learning about new people is just really relaxing to me because I love talking to people and meeting new people. So yeah, that's something I thrive in. Absolutely. I uh, had the chance when I was 18 and graduated high school, I spent three weeks in Sweden. And then yeah. the summer after that, I went back for another three weeks. Um, so yeah, like my retirement plan, um, my wife is kind of okay with this. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see by then. I think she'll be okay. But my <laughs> retirement plan is to be a principal somewhere overseas. So, um, yeah, I totally dig what you're saying. Um, yeah, that's relaxing to me. Um, so our next question, this one really tells me a lot about somebody. What was your very first job? Oh, my gosh. Um, I guess my first real job would have been a babysitter. But I don't really always consider that <laughs> to be my first job, considering a lot of it was usually babysitting my younger brother. Did you but, get paid? Uh, did you get paid? I, I did. Okay. So I Listen, then that's a job. Otherwise, it's servant. You're not a servant. <laughs> that's true. I guess I should be grateful that that I did get paid for that. Yeah. Yeah. My um, oldest yeah. does not get paid to to watch our kids. <laughs> so I hope, um, yeah. Madison, if you're listening, don't get any ideas. Thanks, Caitlin. <laughs> no problem. Happy to help. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was a babysitter. Um, and then kind of in tandem with that, I also worked at a local ice cream shop in my hometown. Um, so that was my other first, my real first job as I think. Wow. So I, I, I've had to cut myself off of ice cream because I can really get into trouble with ice cream. So, um, once again, thank you, Caitlin, because now you've planted a seed, um, that I'm going to want ice cream after this episode. So <laughs> thanks. You, Kate. The best. you can't thanks. go wrong. Thanks. All right. So uh, what questions do you have for, for me, my friend? Um, okay. So I have one that's like more of like a casual question and one that's a little silly. So my first one is, do you play any instruments or sing? And if not, what would you play if you could play? Okay. Um, actually, um, so I play the banjo. Um, I play the piano. Um, at one time, I played the drums in a pseudo punk band um it was really just three guys that got together in my apartment and played as loud and as fast as we could um yeah and um when i was in let's see fifth grade to my sophomore year i played the trumpet 
Um, right now, I'm trying really, 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 really hard to teach myself how to play Coldplay's um, Everglow. It's a really, oh really, God. really, really pretty piano piece um, that actually my uh, girls and I kind of have a tradition every night. We listen to a music video before we go to sleep. And so they've, yeah, they've really gotten into Coldplay with me. So I'm really hoping to, I guess, play it well enough. That, that's so funny too, because um, Coldplay is like my absolute favorite band. And that is not even a lie. Like that is, it's so, that connection is so cool. Hey, so I got to um, tell you this, you'll appreciate this. Um, when I was teaching, so the, the last six years, I was at a school where we looped so every day I had a class of kindergarten, first and second graders um, for reading. Yeah. And so um, one of the best brain breaks that I ever, ever, ever came up with my kids was showing them music videos. And the one they loved the most um, was that Coldplay video, music videos with the puppets. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh my gosh. Yes. My, I remember my mom showing me this actually um what is the song yeah I I, I don't know but they have some amazing music videos that kids just adore and I can remember um you know this would these were well between that and pentatonics these were about they were 30 kids and, and my school was 97 percent free and reduced so they had probably never heard of Coldplay outside of the school but you would play it and they would just be mesmerized for five minutes oh i love that i might have to use that as a new brain break for my class <laughs> yeah no you should you totally should classical music they loved classical music pentatonics they loved that um piano guys they loved oh, yeah. the piano guys but i'm a music dork awesome. so you know i try to spread that dorkiness as much as possible i love it. i am too so now i have all these new ideas i'm thinking about because i never know with my seven and eight year olds, we don't have, we have some music in common, but sometimes they'll say a song and you're like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, so right. just, that's a really great idea. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, my second question for you is if you were a sandwich, what oh. kind of sandwich would you be and why? Wow. That's deep. I know. And that, and that's it's kind of weirdly. So on my last episode, for my um, bigot idea listeners, if you were listening the last episode when I interviewed um, Chris uh, Stechko, the question I asked him was, um, and that one hasn't came out on this recording yet, but it will. Um, I asked him what makes the perfect sandwich. So now I've got to talk about myself as a sandwich. Okay. Oh, man. So, okay. Um, my, okay, here, here's what it would be. So it would be a ham sandwich with baked Lay's chips on the sandwich because um, it's a little crunchy, uh, yes. a little weird, um, but very, very, um, I'm just going to throw it out there, very satisfying, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, that sounds good. I that's that, you, that came pretty fast to you. Like, listen, listen. That is my number one go to. Like, um, like if I'm in a pinch for time and I need to eat, like you get a whole meal right there. Chips, a sandwich. I can ride one. my lawnmower while I'm eating it. So yeah, <laughs> perfect. It's like the jack of all trades of a sandwich. That's exactly right. Okay, <laughs> so while we're on food, 
Um, I've got to bring this around. What the heck is this about you're a French fry enthusiast? So I will tell you the first, so first, how I even decided to put that in my bio, because that's new. I, that was not there before. Um, I saw someone, another teacher that I followed, put something about coffee and like, like coffee enthusiasts or something with coffee. And I was like, well, I need to represent myself some way with food or a drink or something. Um, and I didn't want to do coffee because I feel like everyone was going to do sure, that. And sure. I always tell my, like, whenever someone asks me, what's your favorite food? I always say French fries and it's true. And I also am like very like particular about what makes a good French fry. Okay. So tell us what is the number one thing you look for in the French fry? So in my opinion, crinkle fries are like top tier, but they have to be like, they have to have a a little bit of like crisp, not like burnt to a crisp, like almost potato chip, but you know, like crispy enough on the outside. And then they also have to be more meaty. Like, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Potato-y French fry. Like, for example, um, if you have like those really thin, I'm thinking of like steak and shake fries. I don't know if you have steak and shake Yeah, yeah. Maybe you do. Um, but they're so thin and they're so, they're just not enjoyable. Like air. Yeah, you go to dip it in the ketchup and then it just falls apart. Like you don't, you want a fry that stays together in the ketchup and is salty and crispy. And, and I just ate supper, but I'm going to have to, I don't know. Now, I, now I've got ice cream and fries on my mind, which if you've never dipped the Wendy's French fry in the Frosty, Ooh. have you yeah. never? No, Holy I've done it with milkshakes, but never with the Frosty. Okay, kid, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm rocking your world today. Hey, and I'm going to give you one more nugget of wisdom for the second grade classroom. And then we're going to jump into why we're actually here. Um, So if you want, (laughs) if you want your kids to do absolutely anything you want, go out and buy the biggest jar of pickles. Okay. Yeah. So I used to have pickle Fridays and part of my behavior strategy was I used uh, tickets. And if kids, if I caught kids doing like we would have a specific something we were working on every day of the week. So like one day might've been eye contact. Uh, the next day might've been uh, restating a question or something. And when they did it right, they got a ticket and they got to put it into a jar. And then on Fridays, we would have the drawing. Um, and man, to see these kids eyes light up when you gave them like a huge honking pickle. Um, I'm telling you, kids and food. I love it. It is the the greatest motivator, I think. <laughs> well, for me too. I love so, it. That's awesome. all right. Um, so let's start to wean away from uh, the food conversations, and let's talk about what really you know. I always like to find out what led people into education, um, or sometimes what led education to the people. So talk to me and uh, and to our listeners. What led you to um, the schoolhouse? Sure. I, um, I was always a student that would like, I was a good student. I loved school. School was, was my thing. Um, and I'm, I'm now learning that maybe it was because I was, I was good at school and what school Mm -hmm. expected me to do. But when I went to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I was actually really nervous about choosing, um, like settling with something because I didn't settle with the wrong thing. And I, um, and everyone around me, I felt like just seemed to know, like, they were like, 
yeah, I'm only 18, but I know that I want to do this or yeah, I want to be a it. doctor. And I was like, yeah. I have so many interests. I don't know what I want to do. Um, so when I went to college, I uh, was undecided for the first semester. And then I was thinking about like, okay, well, I went to like our career center and I was like, I, they're kind of like, what do you want in a job? And I was like, well, I want to, I want something that's different every day. Like I don't want to sit and do the same thing every day. Cause I know that for me as a learner, it just doesn't work. And also I want to do something that's helping others or doing right. something that allows me to have an impact on other people. You want to change um, the world. Yeah. I mean, in, in a few words. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I took that kind of led me to, well, I love kids. I, I, I babysat a lot, but I was also a camp counselor for a while. And um, it wasn't that teaching never crossed my mind, but I guess I just never thought of it as something that I would, I would ever do, like standing in front of kids and, and teaching them about everything. Like, I just never thought that I could do something like that. But I took one class just to see what it was like in the education department in my college. And um, that was it for me. <laughs> we had a practicum where I went for, it was like once a week for an hour and I was in a fifth grade class. Um, at Missouri State, we actually had a school on campus. It was a, a laboratory school. Oh, wow. um, Very cool. So yeah. And so the first assignment that I was ever, anytime I was really in a classroom was, was in that moment. And um, I loved it. I was like, I, I wanted to know more about education. I wanted to know more about how to best reach kids. And then I just kind of at the end of my freshman year, declared my major, and um, and I have been like full in it since then. Um, so that is kind of how I how I got into it. Very cool. Um, yeah, I can totally relate. Like, uh, I have a lot of different hobbies and a lot of different passions and a lot of different. You know, I'm a nerd through and through. <laughs> so the really cool thing about education is you kind of get to dabble in a little bit of everything. Um, and it is, I mean, um, at one at one point in time, like the most revered people in a society were priests and their teachers. Um, and somehow we've gotten away from that on both fronts. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, teaching is definitely, um, you know, I, I truly feel God puts you in particular places at particular times for particular reasons. And it sounds like to me that you were led into education and um, I'm super excited to see you know, like, like we talked about, you know, your first year was during a crazy year. And so like, what kind of awesomeness can you in, 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 imbibe or um, impart on your kids next year? It's going to be pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. All right. So um, the name of this whole um, shebang podcast is a big ed idea podcast. So before we can talk about the idea, we got to talk about the problem. Um, and you know, you've only been in a short time, but it, it really and truly doesn't take a long time to see um, problems of education. So talk to me about what you see as, you know, the problem um, that you kind of want to tackle. So when I student taught, um, my experience was unique besides the fact that it, uh, I was in an internship that was a year long. Um, it was a new program that my college has just, had just started within the past couple of years. I think last year was when I student taught and it was their second year with the program. And um, the classroom that I was placed in was, it was only unique to this specific classroom. Like the other classes in the school were, were your typical elementary classroom, but this classroom was, um, co-taught so there were two mm -hmm. teachers and I guess like when I say traditional I mean like 
for what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, but there, we had, they had two teachers and they had defined their classroom as a democratic learning space. And I thought to myself, like, I have no clue what I'm about to get into yeah, because right. I've never heard that before. Um, and so I got into the class and I just kind of jumped in. Like I was, I was nervous at first. And then my teachers were like, we just want to throw you in and get you started. So in this particular school, they had two classrooms of every grade level, but when they get to fifth grade, they're all in the same class together. So we actually had um, 33 kids um, in our classroom with amongst all three of us, basically. So what was really great about this classroom is they valued student voice and choice no matter what. That was their like guiding principle. And as teachers, we kind of served as facilitators to the students learning, which was really sure. cool. Um, and I think the reason they were able to do something like this is because they had um, administrative support, which was a really big, big deal because I know a lot of people that have talked about wanting to try it, but they don't get that support. Yeah. Um, but so this involved, um, like our schedule didn't have reading, writing, math, you know, social studies. It was um, in the morning we have what was called community time. And so sometimes we were doing science stuff then. Sometimes we were having a class circle and we were just talking. Um, we would have possibilities time, which was a time when they would um, kind of get to choose, pick and choose what they wanted to work on. So they might have three different things they're working on um, and they could be all encompassing projects where they're, they're working on something that integrates all different subjects. Um, and it was through this experience with being in a classroom that way, teaching in a classroom that way, that I realized like our education system is way too much a one size fits all um, approach to our kids. And I feel like we're doing a disservice to students when we are valuing test scores, we're valuing, um, you know, how, how, what are you going to, what are you going to leave with? And are you at the standards that you need to be at by the end of your grade level? Um, I just feel like it's, it's inequitable and um, it takes away from what our kids can do and their potential and um, takes away from that growth mindset. And really kind of, I think is part of why we lose our love for learning as we get, yeah. get older in our, yeah. our career. So yeah, no, <laughs> um, no, I think number one, I 1000% agree with you. Um, the education system as it was for a hundred years, uh, worked really, really, really well for the time. Um, there was a time when the educator, and I don't know if you know this author, but his name is Ted Dintersmith and he wrote most likely to succeed. And he wrote, uh, what school could be. Um, he was a UN education appointee by president Obama. Um, but he, he really talks about this idea that um, there was a time when the teacher was seen as the smartest in the room. And so when the kids came in, they took everything that that teacher said to gospel because it was the teacher's job to impart knowledge, to impart content. Um, and to be 1000% honest, that's not what a teacher's role is anymore. If that's all the teacher's role is, then we just need to put kids in front of a computer. Computer, because, exactly. You know, um, and so yes, I completely agree. Um, our job in the education system is not just to, um, for lack of a better word, and to use a um, hyperbole or analogy. Our job is not to like you know, take a can opener and open a kid's head and dump the knowledge into their head and 
you know, outcomes, a test score. No, um, I'm really interested in this concept. So let's dive in. So if that is what we do not want to do, um, we know that is antiquated. We know that um, worked really well for assembly line workers that worked really well for um, lack of a better word, compliance in education. So what do we do? What do we do? What's, what's, the, what's the idea, girl? Well, I think first it's important to note, and I know I actually heard this mentioned in a podcast you've done before. Um, I read an episode you did before. We can't keep doing education the way it's always been done. It's just, we just can't, it can't happen. Um, there's no way that we're reaching our kids if we're doing things the way it's been done when like, like I was telling my parents about all the things that I'm learning this year and just everything in general. And they're like, oh, we did things like that. And I'm like, oh, then it's gotta go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, but my idea, and I have a, a couple, it's very broad and probably nothing new, but um, through my graduate work and my research, I just um, have started my research on project-based learning, Yes, love um, it. which is, is just one, I think one possible solution, but really focusing on student-centered practices as the best practices. And I think that um, to do this, one of the things, and it's, it's such, a, such a big idea and a big Thing. But um, getting moving away from standardized tests to assess students' growth and students' potential. Like yeah. I feel like um, I, you know, it's funny. There is this this person who uh, is on Instagram and Twitter, and he goes around and he finds a bunch of people that drive like really fancy cars, and he asks them, "What did you do for a living?" And then his follow-up question is, did you go to college? And I always thought that was interesting. Like, why are you asking them that question? But I realize. He's trying to show that these people are successful and they're doing successful things. Not that wealth is the only measure of success, but in this way, it's how he's showing it. And they didn't necessarily graduate with a degree and they maybe they didn't even go to high school. You know, and I just, um, I think that student center practices, using portfolios, just integrating content for our kids and letting kind of letting the kids drive the content because they're so smart. They're so curious, like no one, is born hating learning. No one is born not wanting to to try. The opposite, new- quite opposite. Exactly, and I and so like we do like, and I say we as in society, we do that to them, right? And so I feel like um, more research in student center practices, but then also being willing to be flexible and try them and start making that the norm in our schools because the way we're doing things right now, I have kids that have made so much growth just this year alone, and I've had families tell me like you give them so much freedom you give them so much choice we're not used to like they my kids weren't used to that when I met them in October (laughs) and they were like we were writing our our class norms together like what we're doing that together and I was like well it's not my classroom it's our class absolutely um and so that language is huge language is another huge piece of that and knowing that we are a team and um we I am I am just learning just as much as they're learning and and they know that Um, And it's amazing to see their independence that happens. Um, And I think it will just lead to us like kind of, it'll move us away from underestimating what our kids can do. Cause I think that tends to happen too, right? Like standardized test scores come in and you have these kids that their numbers are are not where they're supposedly told that they should be. Yeah, right. And then they immediately deflate, right? That they feel like they're not, that they're a failure, they're not enough or they don't, they aren't learning. And that's not true. And I. I feel like those numbers don't show that. So that's kind of where I'm where I'm stemming from with all of these. But 
it's so interesting to have seen all this research that has been done to show these practices are promising and yet nothing seems to be changing. It's just there. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no. Um, amen. Like, uh, this, I'm having a hallelujah moment. So like, uh, I've been to a couple of Southern Baptist churches in my life and I would be that guy right now in the front row raising my hands, um, <laughs> raising both hands. Hallelujah. Um, because yeah, like, we keep talking and look, I'm old, I'm 40. So I can say this. We have been talking about, we've been talking about 21st century skills. And I'm going to say this with emphasis, literally for 21 years and nothing. Well, I'm not going to say nothing, but there has been very little movement. Um, Like, look, if we want, well, number one, we don't need, robots to be coming out of our education system because as ted ed ted denter smith very 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 well talks about in 20 years 30 40 percent of all of our jobs are going to be automated because machine intelligence we don't need more robots our world has tons of robots in fact the robots are taking our kids jobs so our job as an education system just like you are saying is to teach creativity. How can our kids be creative? Critical thinking. Um, I don't know how many people out there have talked to an average high school student lately. Create um, Critical thinking um, is a dying art. Um, and, I would, and I would gather, um, there are quite a few adults out there that critical thinking um, is not one of their strong points. Um, another one of the five C's, collaboration. If our kids, cannot work together, they are never going to solve the world's problems. Um, Let's see, what else am I missing? Civic mindedness. We have politics that are um, in shambles, for lack of a better word. Um, People cannot work together. Um, People are disenfranchised, low voter turnout, turnout. So, you know, those five C's, I think what you are saying have got to be um, more of a priority, but I love what you said too. student-centered practices. I hadn't heard that before. Oh, really? No, I hadn't. Um, and maybe that's because of what, maybe I wasn't listening. So (laughs) talk to me about, okay. So like, if you were giving some advice to, um, another newbie teacher, um, going into maybe a normal year, what is one student-centered practice that you would say, look, you got to try this? I would say, and this is literally the most basic thing, but it was a turning point for me just starting out was including students in the big decisions you make in your classroom. And that includes um, like, like the first thing we did together is we came up with our norms and we didn't Absolutely. call them rules because one of the things that I found is that we called it a living document um, because I wanted them to be able to change it and know that if there was something that wasn't working or something that needed to be added, we were going to add it. Um, and more importantly, it's in their own words. So like we had a class circle and we went around and said, basically, we answered the question of what do you need to um, be safe and comfortable in a learning space? And they were all of the things that you would think that would go into rules you might come up with or norms you might come up with on your own 
were said in one way or another, but it was in the kids' voices. Yeah. It's not in her voice. And that yeah. that just like, it seems so simple, but it was so effective. And I hadn't seen that before until I was student teaching and I saw it and I was like, this is like everything. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of teach them throughout, you guide them to start making those decisions and make those choices because it builds their agency. Like it builds their their ownership and like, hey, I do, I do have a stake in this. Like this is also a part about me and my teacher is gonna help me with it. And um, even in like another one is in um, conferences. Now all of our conferences have been virtual which has actually been really nice for families. Um, but we, whenever we met my first conferences I was terrified cause I was like, you know they knew going in I was a new teacher. They knew and that was really all they knew. And um, there was like, there's all these things with that going into it. And I was like, they're gonna think that I'm not prepared or I'm not qualified. And so I started off by saying, you know, we are a team and I see us as a team in like a triangle and we've got your child, we have you and we have me and no one is more than the other. It is a, a teamwork approach, a collaborative approach to ensure the success of, of your student. And, and that includes them, you know, it's not a, the teacher and the families are talking and about the child, the child is included in that. And Perfect. Um, that has, all of that, just setting your year up for that, you know, is just, it was amazing for me because I gained the support of my families early on and my kids trusted me and that was building those relationships. And then, then you can teach them, you know? No, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, so what I'm really hearing is that you value the student for their humanity first and foremost. Yes. And I think exactly what you're saying is connections before content. Exactly. I love when you said that at the beginning, I was like, oh, I love that. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm a big, and I think everything you're saying here goes back to the kids that we are turning out have to be leaving with skills, have to be leaving with competencies. And, and I think, you know, you're saying that gone are the days where it's just turning out content. It's just memorizing. It's just, um, I heard somebody say this and I really mean it. Like we need to stop calling teachers teachers because they're not teaching anymore. They should be facilitating. Yes. And yes, we have these big, broad standards. Um, but if I've got a kid that's really into dinosaurs at second grade, um, why couldn't this kid use dinosaurs to learn his phonics, how to learn, um, you know, all these other big ideas. So I love, love, love that, that idea of student centered practices. Um, and I did something very similar. You talked about your norms. If you've never heard of it, you need to check out something called the, um, the, and now I'm going to lose it because I'm 40 and I'm old. Um, so there is Positive Discipline by Jane Nelson. Um, she talks a lot about um, kind of that, that same thing. And then there's Responsive Classroom Approach. And Responsive Classroom Approach, one of the main things they talk about every day is having uh, circles or uh, uh, morning meetings. And I did that with my kids and I taught my kids how to give compliments, how to receive compliments. We worked on problem solving. We worked on, um, but kind of that same thing. You got to build that community first. Um, then when you've got a community, like literally your kids will run through walls for you. Right. 
And let me guess, all of those things you taught were definitely in your curriculum guide, right? <laughs> Listen, I'm going to be the first, and I, and I mean this when I say this, and I don't mean this like, um, like to be coy or anything, but there were days that I didn't plan anything, nothing. And I walked into that classroom and we had wonderful, wonderful learning opportunities. Did I have a curriculum I was teaching off of? Yes, 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 yes. Anybody can teach curriculum. And that's what the curriculum is for. It takes a very special person to take that curriculum and make it so that the kids um, see the value in it. Um, so the kids like take it to heart and become excited about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about student-centered practices as I'm learning more about them because it takes away, um, like you can still meet kids where they are, right? Like there's the other piece of that is like, it's really individualized. So how do you differentiate and how do you, you know, how do you do that? What does that look like? Because that's such a, it's a, a really difficult thing that teachers face is, is meeting every student's needs. And I think that with student-centered practices, first of all, in every research article I've read about it, um, even some of the most recent ones, they all say that there needs to be like imp implemented teacher training and what that looks like. And I think part of it is because like as a new teacher, like I recognize that I, there are disadvantages, but I think there's also an advantage of, I have nothing, nothing that I'm comparing this to, right? That's like exactly I'm, right, yeah. Like, I think it's harder, it can be harder for veteran teachers to look at something and be like, you want me to let the kids like choose these, th like what, where do you sit, you know? And um, once you've done something for so long and it's worked for you, it change can be hard. And I, I, res I get that, I respect that. Um, but I also think that if there was ever a time for change, like broad, like big systematic change, it would be now because everything is, we, no one Upside knows what like at this point. Um, and I loved also, I wanted to go back to, you said we shouldn't be called teachers, we should be called facilitators. And I had um, a professional development and it was kind of like a choose your own one. And I went to this one that, of a middle school teacher in my district was talking about the brain and like learning in the brain. And in my head, I was like, should have had this class in college, like no. talking about the psychology of learning. And she said, you are not teachers, you are learning scientists. And I was like, that is so awesome. Amen. Yeah. Um, and it's true because we, we are the experts in how our kids learn. And that being said, I think we should also be listened to more from people that make those decisions of, you know, who, who thinks what we're teaching is the best idea. And yeah. um, so I don't know, there's just so many pieces that go along with it that I do think it can be done, but it does require so much. I won't say, but I'll say, and, and it requires so much um, systematic change but I, I think it's possible. I really do. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely possible. Um, and I would say it's not only possible, it is necessary. Um, and I'm of the mindset that anytime you try to move the, me the, the needle forward, you're going to upset the apple cart. Um, mm -hmm. But that's okay, especially when people know your heart um, and they know what you value and they know um, you know, where all this is coming from. I am definitely one person that loves to explode the box. Um, and some people see that as, you know, so that can turn some people off. But um, I would challenge anybody to sit down with you and I for 10 minutes um, 
just like we're doing now and listen to us and you will hear our hearts. Um, because I'm gonna be honest, Caitlin, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping this down. I'm wrapping us up, but, um, I want you to know, like if I'm ever an elementary principal, again, you have got an open invitation to come and work for me. Um, because we need, no, I mean it like, Thank you. I will write up the contract. I think I've got a napkin right here. Um, yeah, I will email it to you. I don't know if, if there are any lawyers out there, if that's a binding resolution, but um, I love your passion. I can see it. Um, I love your fresh ideas. We need it. Um, I love the fact that like you're not jaded. Um, your first year was, let's be honest, like, um, could have been a crap show, um, you know, because you were thrown in, like you spent four years preparing for this one model and they're like, eh, just joking. And you have <laughs> taken it and you're coming out with a smile and I can tell that you want to move the needle forward. And what I'm worried about as someone that's been in education for 14 years is that we're going to go back to the normal. Um, so I'm telling you, girl from Kentucky, all the way over to Missouri, keep fighting the good fight. Um, you. Yeah, your mom and dad should be very proud of the education of the educator that that they have produced. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so bravo. Thank you so much. Very, very much. Um, I love this conversation. And we might have to do a part two of this. Um, because okay. I feel like we could talk. One, one thing you know, I'm very passionate about a, a lot of different things. I've told you I'm a nerd, but one of the things I'm really passionate about lately is the type of graduate that we churn out and the way that, um, so how do we get a kid that comes into kindergarten and then exit, exits that system as a senior? How do we get that person with those five C's? How do we get those people genuinely interested in changing the world? How do we overcome this pandemic of learned helplessness? Um, but in my mind, we need three diff very different systems. Our elementary's got to do one thing, our middle's got to do one thing, and our high school's got to do another. So it takes wonderful people like you down in the trenches, down <laughs> in second grade, um, soon to be third grade land, keep <laughs> fighting the fight, keep coming up with crazy ideas. I'm telling you, those crazy ideas are going to take you through the worst of your days um, because you're going to have them. You're going to have kids. Um, and I'll be honest, you might have kids that pass away. Um, you might have kids that come to school with very bad diseases. Um, kids that come and tell you about home lives that you could never in a million years fathom how adults could teach their kids like that. But it's those outside of the box ideas that are going to keep you going. Thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. Um, so any of my listeners out there, if you would like to get a hold of Miss Caitlin, um, Caitlin, how can we get a hold of you? Um, the best way I would say is through Twitter. Um, so my handle is at Miss underscore Kilby, um, which is K-I-L-B-Y. Um, but also... Um, I would, yeah, I would say Twitter is probably the best at, at, as of right now. I'm working on an Instagram, but slow going. That's all right. Um, so if you're out there in the Twitterverse, um, please reach out to my girl. Um, and if any of my awesome 
uh, PLN folks are around the St. Lawrence area, reach out to her. Um, I mean it when I say this, like you've got a rock star that is like, you know, she is forming under pressure. She's going to be a diamond after like two years. She's going to be able to be like a world changer like none other. So reach out to this girl. Uh, Miss Caitlin, it has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to talk to you tonight. Um, I'm, I'm serious when I say this, like as a first year teacher, you've got an aura um, about you. So keep up the good work, girl. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. This has been an amazing opportunity and my first podcast appearance. So mm -hmm. I'm honored. Thank you. Sweet, sweet, <laughs> sweet. Okay. So to my big idea, uh, listeners, I'm going to leave you with another quote on dreaming. A person starts dying when they stop dreaming. So to all my friends out there, be immortal. Don't ever stop dreaming. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny papers. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion and together let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.